Good evening. Hello, and welcome to Hiya Bonus Podcast number one. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably thinking, well, where was the music that I'm used to? Where was the man bellowing like a wounded yak with a nail driven through its foot? <laughs> well, don't worry, that's always still there on the regular episodes, but... Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to bring to you one of our bonus episodes, our very first, as a matter of fact. Aren't you excited, fellas? Bonus. (laughs) So basically, let me explain what happened here. Um, This was the originally intended interview for our episode number eight, but uh, it's mostly my fault, thanks to uh, not being able to get my head around the fact that someone in Taiwan is 12 hours different from us. (laughs) And a completely different day on top of that. (laughs) Well, depending on whether it's morning or evening, but yeah, um, so uh, just difficulties mounted with the scheduling so we weren't able to get it done in time for episode number eight but i was able to get it done shortly thereafter and it's a really good interview with a fellow named chris bates yes indeed uh just to tell you a little bit about him you'll hear all about it in the interview coming up but he is uh he is a uh, high level bondo practitioner which is a martial art a lot of people don't have much familiarity with so you're going to get a lot of very cool did you say bondo yeah. Yeah. B-A-N-D-O. Yeah, it's more than what you buy at a oh, store, okay. brother. Not, yeah, not A-N-D-O. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the car repair stuff. I was going to say, because I'm familiar with Bondo. Although, apparently, he's an expert kind. at car repair, too. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I met him in a parking lot at the Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell my tail, boy. Get it back. <laughs> um, and he's also, uh, he's done, uh, he, he trained with uh, Hung Yi Shung for many years in Taiwan. So, I know a lot of people would be interested in hearing about that. Cool. Uh, and he's just an old school guy. He's got tons of adventures that he shared with me. Uh, lots of interesting people he met over time. And frankly, um, you know, we th- we thought about just holding on to this interview until we had a show where we didn't have another guest booked or something like that. But it's it's too good to just sit on. And uh, I don't want it to get stale on the shelf for months. So what we've decided to do is just bring it to you as bonus content and also as part of our effort to get caught up on uh, our <laughs> recording versus releasing schedule. Um, but mostly because we love you and we want you to love us too. Right. So this time you don't have to wait for more high goodness. We've got a big old slab load of it coming to you right, right now. here. Right here and right now with our uh, interview with Chris Bates. Uh, we'll pop in at the end and tell you a little more. Okay, listeners, uh, welcome back, and we're here for our interview with Mr. Chris Bates. Uh, he's a Bondo practitioner, uh, experienced with several styles of martial arts, including uh, Bagua, Shingyi, and uh, a Thiong. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Thang. Thang, okay. Well, Thang. <laughs> okay, sweet. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Bates, why don't you go ahead and just... Uh, yeah, give a quick rundown uh, for the audience of uh, of what you do, because I don't think I did you justice just then. Well, I, I hail from uh, Atlanta, Georgia originally, but the past uh, uh, 32 years I've been living in Asia. And uh, what led me to do that was uh, my interest in, in training martial art that I started training uh, uh, in the American Bondo system in the U.S. and then came out here. Um, 
So I've lived 17 years in Singapore and 13 years in Taiwan and one or two years in Hong Kong. Uh, and have have trained with a, a number of uh, you know teachers that that are of, of significant reputation, and I've also visited many famous schools uh, that that were very interesting to see, although I didn't train in them. Um, and I am a Mandarin speaker. I've done published translations of Chinese literature, and uh, I work. Uh, my day job is. Uh, as a partner in charge of Hydric and Struggles uh, office in Taiwan, which is a international uh, executive search firm. Well, we always love to talk to a martial artist that has a day job. <laughs> Good. That's how we roll. Uh, and welcome back to Atlanta, metaphorically speaking. That's where that's where we record from. All right. Well, we want to get to as much of that stuff as possible, and we've only got a limited amount of time, so. Uh, Let's start off, uh, uh, the first, first thing we usually ask a guest on this show uh, is uh, what got them interested and what got them started in martial arts before we get into the nitty-gritty? Well, you know, I, I was like a lot of kids, you know, I, when I was small, I'm, I'm 57 now, so when I was, let's say, eight, nine years old, I saw my first James Bond movie and and what he was doing was exciting, and then Green Hornet, and then David Carradine, Kung Fu, and and finally, uh, you know, End of the Dragon just blew me away, and that's uh, pretty much when I started uh, actual training. I mean, I had picked up uh, these books that my father bought at garage sales from the 1920s, you know, on jiu-jitsu and boxing and, oh, and wow. so on. Uh, but... You know, I hadn't. I didn't have a training partner. There was nothing serious about it. But um, I took my senior year of high school uh, in a college program in Georgia, and uh, I did that at Georgia State University. And it was really wonderful because Georgia State at that time had a wonderful martial arts program. They had they had uh, Tang Sudo, Taekwondo, Shotokan, Aikido, uh, and then they had Bondo. And and they had some guy teaching Taiji as well, and uh, you know I looked around and there was a nice guy uh, who who was sort of the, the the president of the martial arts club and he took me around and introduced me to the different teachers and and I really uh, fell in love with, with with Bondo and and the Bondo teacher there I didn't, I mean I didn't fall in love with him but I mean I like him a lot uh, Jeff Wilch <laughs> yes uh, and. You know, it was clearly very different. His his attitude, the way the students worked with each other, and and the style itself was very different from everything else that was being trained there. And I'm I'm kind of a quirky guy. I I I like to do things that are not what everybody else is doing, and so uh, that's what I started doing. And Bondo, uh, you know, under Jeff Wilcher was was a was a quick road to learn some really good skills. Uh, the, the the drilling, the way they drilled. Uh, uh, this was you know before the Muay Thai was popular, but we were using heavy pads uh, for training um, and using something Bondo called the uh, blocking stick, which I still don't be, see being used in other styles where. Basically, it's a padded shin eye, and the guy's coming at you, and you're 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 ducking, weaving, blocking, uh, and so on. Hmm. But it develops some good. Uh, it quickly develops some some solid skills, uh, hmm. and that's pretty much how I got in. 
Excellent. Uh, well, Bondo is one of the martial arts that uh, most people don't know a whole lot about. And frankly, even though I've known uh, one or two Bondo practitioners, I can't claim to know a whole lot about it. Uh, can you give us a little detail on its history and uh, even more than that, what what Bondo consists of, how it's practiced and, and what, what sort of techniques or, or skills it focuses on? Right. I mean, first, if we just look at the history of, of the American Bondo Association, uh, uh, Bondo was brought to the United States by a gentleman named uh, Dr. Umong Ji, and uh, he came to the U.S. in the late 1950s. He was on a, a trip uh, by motorcycle from on the Pan American Highway. Uh, he had previously made a trip, which is documented in a very nice article uh, you can download online, with a with an American from Singapore to London back in the late 1950s by motorcycle and it was the first time a journey like that had ever been done. Oh, wow. Uh, and and Manton, the guy he was traveling with, was only 17 at the time. Dr. G was a bit older. And uh, uh, so he, he was an adventurer and, and uh, uh, his father was an ethnic Gurkha who had settled in Burma and married a, a Burmese woman. Uh, and his father was uh, a member of what was called the Military Athletic Club that was formed in Mandalay in the 30s. And there, there uh, people of different ethnic groups, uh, Kachin, Karen, Chinese, Indian, uh, etc., uh, Gurkhas, would train together. And there was some exchange and exposure to different styles and things. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Dr. G... Uh, brought uh, Bondo to the U.S. Uh, he was on this motorcycle trip from Alaska to hopefully the tip of South America, but he didn't make it. His, his uh, motorcycle was destroyed in the Panamanian riots, and he wired the uh, embassy in Burma, no, sorry, the, the Burmese embassy in Washington. His father was the director of physical education under the Burmese government at the time, and so he had some political connections. And uh, they sent him a ticket, and he flew to Washington, D.C., and settled in and started studying, uh, I believe, at American University. Eventually, he got his doctorate and became a professor at Ohio University. But in the meantime, he began teaching Bondo in Washington, D.C. And so Bondo is very much an East Coast art in the United States, uh, say, east of the Mississippi. Not too many people on the West Coast practice it. And uh, it, uh, as, as Dr. G has brought it to the U.S., um, there's, there's basic training, uh, there's a, you know, a, a several paths that a practitioner can take, whether you want to focus on forms or sparring or you know, full contact uh, fighting. Uh, there's weapons training and empty hand training. And then once you get past the basic Bondo skills, uh, you would eventually specialize in a, a, a an animal system, uh, of which there are uh, there's the cobra, tiger, eagle, viper, bull, scorpion, boar, python, and panther systems. So unlike Chinese systems where you would learn uh, a whole bunch of different animal systems, like the five animals in Shaolin or the twelve animals in Xingyi. In Bondo, you'll generally focus on only one or two, and those would be based upon your physical attributes and your temperament, uh, you, you know, basically the, the psychology of, that you bring to your fighting. 
Can I interrupt with a quick question? Sure, yeah. Um, Are these animal forms typically uh, uh, more extensive or more in-depth than, say, you know, in in Xing'i, if you have one of their animals, it may be as as short as two or three movements. Um, Right. uh, Are these larger uh, individual systems within the system? Yep. Okay. Exactly. And, and, you know, the the, the difference with Xing'i is is something that I've explored because I have – trained all the Xingyi animals, and I've trained a couple of the Bondo animals. And f- from my perspective, uh, the, way I, the way I see it, Bondo animal forms, generally speaking, are using the same kind of power to manifest, uh, I mean, the same physical attributes to manifest power into motion. Okay. Uh, you know, there are some differences in the way the python moves versus the cobra you know, the way the tiger moves versus the uh, scorpion, but um, it's not like Xingyi, where okay in in the bondo forms the animals are manifesting a different strategy or approach to taking out the opponent. Okay. In Xingyi, the animal forms the the major purpose of them is to explore different ways of manifesting power into motion. So you've got in, in Xingyi, you've got the five elements, which, which explores in a very rough way uh, five different ways of manifesting power into motion, like rising and falling. Right. And then in the 12 animals of Xingyi, you'll, you will further define or refine those ideas of uh, putting uh, motion into power or power into motion. For instance, the... Uh, Taixing, the, the rock form mm-hmm. in, in Hong Yixiang's Tang Shou Dao, the passed down from Zhang Junfeng, is a very heavy, dropping, uh, rising and falling power. So it's just dragging the opponent down toward the ground and then rising up out of that and, and springing into him. Um, so in, in, in Xingyi, I see the animal forms as being much more about exploring. Uh, energy than about a tactical, strategic way of approaching the opponent. Whereas the Bondo systems have very specific ways based upon the observation of the animals and how they fight, uh, how you're going to approach and attack your opponent. The Python, for instance, I'm not a Python stylist, but it's a fascinating system. Python, as an animal, hangs around in the tree. It waits for its prey to come under it, and it just falls on top of it. And strangles it, yeah, (laughs) or crushes it. This several hundred pound inert snake just sort of drops on you, shocks you, and then wraps around you and crushes your bones, sort of, you know, tenderizes you, chokes (laughs) you to death, and then it's, and after you're dead, then it works on swallowing you. Um, Similarly, with the Python system, there's various ways of, of, uh, uh, engaging the limbs of the opponent, uh, wrapping them up, uh, dislocating them, eventually bringing the opponent down and working to choke him out uh, either through his rib cage or, or you know, the neck and head and, and rib cage. And, uh, you know, so it's a very muscular system. It's a very, uh, what Dr. G would say, a very hot system and that you're very close to the opponent for, you know, a, a long period of time. Hmm. Um, 
uh, cobra, uh, you know, as an example of another snake, but with very different from the python, is focused on uh, nerve targets, and it's so it's a nerve striking system. It's a speed system. You know, you're you're not staying in close contact with the opponent. Uh, you want to avoid, you know, somebody like the python. You don't want to get tangled up with him. Right. So, uh, you know, they're, they're very much exploring different ways of uh, approaching and attacking the opponent, different weapons of attack and different targets to attack. Interesting. So, uh, did we miss anything in the Bondo curricula when I stopped you there? Well, yeah, one thing, uh, you know, if you look at our the Bondo patch in the U.S., uh, it's got these the crossed kukris and the kukri is not a weapon that's native to Burma, but uh, Dr. G, you know, his father was a, 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 an ethnic Gurkha who had fought uh, with the Gurkhas in World War One. Uh, Dr. G was uh, an orderly in, in the in the, the Gurkha boy companies in World War Two, uh, you know, carrying stretchers around, and he did see some action at the end of the war, um, you know, as a teenager. So the principal bladed weapon we use is the kukri, and it's a uh, you know, the kukri is a weapon that's gotten a lot uh, more popular in recent years because of cold steel. Uh, yes. You know, they, they, they've made a custom blade that Dr. G designed. And then, of course, what uh, what was the uh, zombie movie? Uh, oh, I love yeah, zombie movies, but I'm not... The girl, the girl that was carrying the two, the double kukris and, you know, chucking them around and stuff like that. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, so the kukri is, you know, it's a fantastic weapon. It's very powerful. You can, you know, there's a lots of documented uh, uh, examples from World War One, World War Two of of single strike decapitations of of, of enemy opponents, of cutting through uh, uh, helmets and so forth. Uh, so it's a really superlative battlefield weapon. Doesn't take up a lot of space. Uh, you could, it's good for trench warfare, um, jungle warfare, and so on. And so we, we train the kukri as our principal bladed weapon. Uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Dr. G has started teaching since I've been out of the U.S. Uh, more of the da, which is the long curved sword uh, uh, that's used in Burma. Okay. Now, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Now that that was a discussion, sort of about American Bondo Association. But uh, I've also, I, I was the first, I, as far as I know, I was the first uh, uh, person from the American Bondo Association to go back to Burma to look for teachers. That was back in nineteen January nineteen seventy seven, and uh, taught or, or learned uh, from uh, Saya Uso Mint in in Burma, and. Uh, uh, got exposure. He took me to meet with the Burma Thang Federation um, and with uh, one of his uh, teachers who was a monk uh, over several visits that I made to Burma. And, uh, uh, you know, I had to say that, uh, you know, Sayuso Mint was very good and his stick stick technique, his sta technique, very good. His, his, uh, 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 well, I'll say the Chinese word "chinna." His his mm-hmm. uh, uh, gripping and so forth was very strong, very uh, 
well-defined. But in general, when I went to see the Burma Thang Federation and their people and their performances, of course, this goes back 20 years. I mean, they may, they've probably improved now, but they really weren't that impressive. And uh, more recently, uh, I, I was invited to attend the uh, a ceremony that Dr. G prepared uh, about two years ago to examine the animal masters uh, in, in the U.S. and what they had done with the systems. Uh, th this is something that's interesting about Bando and Bando Association and, and, and Dr. G's perspective on, on the future of the uh, system. Um, he basically, uh, five or six years ago, selected uh, individuals of high skill within the system to pass on specific animal systems to them, say three, four, maximum five individuals for each of the animal systems. And he tasked them to develop a, a second generation of students under them who were uh, equally good and gave them five years to, to show him what they could do. Uh, so two years ago, the time was up and we had a, a convocation and it was absolutely amazing uh, the level of skill that some of these people um, demonstrated. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people out here, Shaolin monks, all that stuff. And uh, what some of these people had done with the, their skills was, was really uh, amazing, eye-popping and uh, commendable. Uh, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I've, I've seen Bondo in the U.S., I've seen Bondo in Burma, and, and I think, you know, A, maybe because we have the time and the nutrition and the, you know, all that stuff, but uh, uh, the American Bondo Association has taken the skills uh, pretty far. Well, it, it seems with a lot of Asian martial arts that uh, a goodly number of the people that are carrying it forward to the next generation are uh, you know, Westerners, uh, Americans or Europeans. And I think you're spot on with that, that it does have a lot to do with, uh, how much, uh, how much leisure time we have and, uh, and, and money and nutrition and everything else that we can sort of back up and take an interest and spend a lot of time on these things. Whereas in more, uh, you know, I don't want to say third world, but, uh, more developing, uh, countries, the, the youth that would be doing this tend to be a lot more focused on getting ahead economically or, or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, getting up to speed with a Western education, all of that stuff. Yep. Yeah. I, I think uh, one thing, too, is when you have somebody of the caliber of, of Dr. G, uh, you know, a, 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 a doctorate, a college professor, but also a very, you know, physical uh, elemental human man, you know, he's a powerful guy. Yeah. Uh, and the kind of thinking that he puts into this, and then a lot of his students have, have gone on uh, with a similar level of, of academic achievement. We have uh, three or four of the animal masters are, are also PhDs. Uh, and so it's... Uh, I'm not saying it's a cerebral system, but it, it, it's a it's a physical system in which people have put a lot of thought into it. Right. Excellent. Well, um, tell us a little bit about how you uh, wound up in uh, in Taiwan and, and and what you studied there. Right. Well, 
the senior year of my university program, uh, I, I did my undergraduate degree at George Washington University in D.C. And uh, uh, the senior year of that program, I went to Taiwan for a year abroad. Uh, and I arrived in Taiwan having studied Chinese for two years and thinking I was, you know, hot shit in a champagne glass and <laughs> got off the airplane and realized that I knew nothing. It was like, it was so demoralizing to realize how bad my Mandarin was. Uh, and I spent the summer in Taipei uh, uh, studying at the, at the normal university and uh, tried to find a teacher and try to get introduced to people and prior to coming out here I had I had written my uh, my degree thesis on the history of Chinese martial arts and I reached out to Robert Smith in Maryland and, and uh, sought his help and met up with him and then before I came out I asked him for his advice on looking for teachers and so on and he, had, he was uh, supportive um, so I, when I got to Taiwan, I tried to find uh, Liao Wuchang, the the monkey boxer. Yes. And uh, it took you know weeks and weeks, and finally I found out where he was, and finally I arranged to to meet him. And the first time I went over there, I brought a bottle of Johnny Walker Black, I think, and uh, uh, his assistant, you know, just took the the whiskey and said for me to come back the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which I did, and I, I met him. And did he I, tell I, you to bring I, another bottle of whiskey? <laughs> no, I mean I was just a poor student. I couldn't afford, you know, to bring another bottle. But uh, right. I showed up at least the next day and and had a, a meeting with him. And uh, he was he was kind. Uh, but you know, at that point in time, I was already going to be leaving Taipei in about a couple of weeks to go to the middle of Taiwan to Taichung. So there was no possibility for me to engage him in training or whatever. What he did do, which was very nice of him, was he took his name card uh, and he put his seal on it, his chop on it. And he told me to, uh, to seek out uh, Gao Fang Xian in, in Taichung mm. and to show him the card. Um, so uh, when I got to Taichung, uh, I was studying and living at, at Donghai University. And uh, first day in my Mandarin class with my private tutor, who was a, a gentleman uh, from mainland China with his gravelly voice, I remember him. And I, he said, so why are you out here? You know, why are you interested in Chinese? You know, I, I told him I was interested in Chinese martial arts. And he said, oh, I know this teacher. i got to take you down to see him in the park on Sunday. So he did, and it turned out to be Gao Fang Xian. And... Uh, I, I had brought uh, the card with me, and I showed it to Gao. And, and uh, Gao is featured in a couple of uh, Robert Smith's books. Um, he is in Chinese Boxing Masters and Methods. Uh, there's a section about him in Teachers in Southern Taiwan. There's uh, the pictures of, of the Shaolin stances in Asian fighting arts uh, are pictures of Gao Fangxian. Oh, yeah, it's very familiar with those. Okay. And then the the chapter in Martial Musings about Gao Fangxian, probably three-quarters of that was unattributed translation I had done for Robert Smith of uh, materials uh, about Gao's life from his uh, obituaries and so forth. Um, Gao was a, 
uh, from Shandong. He was a uh, he was mainland Chinese. He was a general who had come to Taiwan with Chiang Kai-shek's retreat from mainland China. But he wasn't like a lot of the you know corrupt, uh, inefficient, uh, cowardly generals that we stereotypically think about from that era. He uh, uh, he had gone to the Qingdao Guoshu Academy. Uh, he was a Shandong res- wrestling champion sometime around 1928. Uh, he, he after he graduated from the Qingdao uh, Guoshu Academy, he uh, taught there. Eventually, he became a, a leader of the Da uh, Dao the, the 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 big sword unit, the great sword unit, which was a guerrilla uh, fighting band that stayed behind uh, Japanese lines when Japan overran Shandong, and they did things like blowing up factories and power plants and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. And, yeah. So he he was he was a you know, when I knew him, he was you know he was in his sixties. He was a he was a kindly man. He was very generous. Um, you know, he could see that I was very interested in this, and he taught me. You know, as soon as I'd finished learning one thing, he would move me on to teach teach me something else. And I just I learned a whole lot when I was there with him. Uh, he was a real gentleman. From him, uh, uh, the first you know standard form they teach is the uh, Lian Buquan, the uh, consecutive step boxing. Yeah, and uh, once I got past that, then um, I learned uh, Taizu boxing section one and two from him, and I competed many times in the U.S. with the uh, with one of those forms. It's quite quite beautiful, sort of a long long fist form. Uh, and I also learned the the so-called long sleeves boxing Changxiu Quan, or also known as Sun Bin Quan, Sun Bin boxing uh, from him. And that is an interesting form. It, it, it's very much a nerve-striking form, similar to Cobra uh, from the Burmese style. Uh, fast strikes to uh, weak targets. Um, and a lot of interesting moves. And, uh, and a form, with, one thing that I like about it that's interesting, there's no bow. Uh, the form just starts, bam. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, the, le- I learned the, the, the three uh, uh, Sun Bin Chen forms from him, as well as uh, San Cai Jian, the three powers sword, uh, the thrusting sword, uh, Liu He Gun, the six direction stick, which is a really fine uh, long staff form. Um, and, you know, I told him I was interested in Xingyi, and he uh, arranged for another guy to come in and teach me uh, Xingyi Lianhuan. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I, 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 sadly, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, I, I still remember the form. But um, I was going to ask, but uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what, that's what got me to Taiwan. And uh, after, you know, the, late, late in that year in Taiwan, I met the woman that I've uh, married and uh, we're still married. And uh, I told her, I, you know, that I would come back in a year to to get married to her. And I uh, went back to graduate school in the U.S. Uh, a year later, so we're talking 1978 now. Uh, came back to Taiwan, got married, and then 
went to work and uh, was sent to Singapore um, in 79 and then back to Taiwan in 82. And at that point in time, one of the gentlemen that uh, you've already interviewed, Ellis Amder, yes. had been introduced to me by Don Drager. Uh, I had I had reached out to Robert Smith to say I wanted to, to try to contact Drager and uh, he gave me Drager's contacts and I wrote Drager and met up with him in Tokyo and he introduced me to other people that have had you know that, that have formed a great um, network for me the people that I really like people that you usually really should try to interview uh, like uh, Mike Scoss and uh, Phil Relnick and so on okay but it was it was either Don Drager or or Mike Scoss who introduced me to Ellis and Ellis, uh, you know, was interested in in uh, uh, Chinese martial arts at the time. He was studying with Su Dongcheng in in uh, Tokyo, and he was going to be visiting Taiwan and wanted me to try to find Hong Yixiang. And uh, you know, I had read Smith's books on Hong Yixiang, and you know, this uh, the the not so little elephant oh, chapter. Yes. <laughs> and you know, when I looked at this guy, you know, to me, he looked like a sort of an overweight, chain-smoking inebriate, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Which may have been accurate, too. (laughs) Just not the whole picture. Yeah, and I, you know, not not this uh, disciplined guy that, like, Gaofang Shen was. And so I I hadn't ever sought out Hong Yixiang, hadn't thought about training with him. But, you know, to help Ellis out, I contacted the Guoshu Federation and uh, got his contacts, called him up, arranged for a, a, a private meeting when, when Ellis was visiting Taiwan. And the two of us went over to his uh, parlor, and we sat with him and, and uh, uh, his oldest son. And at this point in time, he wasn't smoking, uh, wasn't drinking, and the way he moved was just an order above and beyond anything that I had seen before, the, the the linkages from the ground up, you know, through his knees, his hips, his back, his shoulders, his elbows, his fingers, you know, it just you could just see this wave coming out, and you could feel it when he would, uh, you know, cross hands with you, and and uh, it was just something that I said to myself, geez, you know, I really want to get this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after Ellis went back, I, I contacted them, uh, the son, and I said, "Look, you know, I'd like to train." And uh, they had some conditions for me. I mean, I, first of all, I said, "I, I want to learn Bagua." And uh, the oldest son says, "Well, uh, you ain't going to get it." <laughs> Basically, it was, that was what he said. But he said, he, "What he said was, first you have to train Xingyi for five years." I said, "Okay, no problem. I'm here. I'll do it." Sure. Uh, he said, second thing, you, you can't train other other forms if you're training with us. That's a pretty uh, harsh requirement. So I, I, I sort of fudged that. And I, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't train empty hand bondo while I was training there with them. I trained weapon, bondo, weapon hand bondo. So I trained kukri and stick and stuff like that. But I, I didn't train other empty hand systems. And... Uh, uh, 
joined in the school, and it was you know private sessions with with Hong Yixiang and his uh, uh, three sons and a couple of other students, um, locals as well as foreigners, and uh, it was in a cleared out apartment space uh, in the building that the, their family owned. Uh, and no air conditioning, and so it was really hot in the summer, and uh, you know, uh, sweat a lot. Yeah, and it was good. It was amazing. Uh, uh, but we focused, you know, on Xingyi uh, forever and ever. And uh, five, six years later, I'm preparing to move to Singapore, and uh, you know, I said to Wong, "Look, I've been here, you know." <laughs> <laughs> You did your five years in Chingy. I did my five years. I really wanted to learn the Bagua, but obviously that, that ain't going to happen now. So can I at least study the Taiji form? And uh, uh, in the last couple months before I left, then I learned uh, the Chen Panling uh, uh, Guo Shu Taiji form uh, from, from Master Hong. And uh, uh, so altogether, you know, I trained the, the Xingyi Five Elements the linking forms, the animal forms, uh, their their family white crane form, uh, a couple of of uh, Shaolin forms, which I I believe you know, were probably creations of Feng Yixiang. Mm-hmm. When I say Shaolin, I mean they were external uh, long fist forms. One of them is called the. Five tigers descend the western mountain, and the other is called the uh, great pung, which is a kind of mythical bird uh, spreads its wings. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then the taiji form. So uh, you know that's where I began to get this appreciation for the refining the way that I put power into motion. And when I went back to the U.S. and would spend time with my Bando brothers uh, and would review a form or they would ask me to coach a student or something, uh, I would find myself uh, putting that refined power into the, into, the, into the motion. It was readily transferable to, you know, other styles, other systems. So basically, I mean, it's a, it's a, a, a way of looking at moving and, uh, very valuable to perceive from that perspective. Yeah, sort of a, a generally useful body method for that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, while we're still on the subject of, of Taiwan there, um, and if this is too political, you know, just say so, but uh, I, I, my teacher, Alan Pittman, was over there right around the same time learning Bagua from his brother, uh, Hani yeah. Mun. Was there... Did they speak of each other much? Did you ever meet him? I mean, or was that, uh, how, what was the relationship between those two like? Well, I, I met him only in passing, quite literally. Uh, his his uh, apartment was like on the second floor, and the training area was on the fourth floor. And occasionally, uh, as I would trudge up the steps, uh, he would open the door and look out, and I would, you know, say hello and keep going up. Um, never trained with him. Uh, I s- saw him at uh, Master Hong's funeral, but uh, um, so uh, you know, it was not exposed to him uh, from a training point of view. Uh, you know, I, I do think that uh, Hong Yixiang, Master Hong, had a, 
a very large school uh, in you know in the seventies, and by the time I was training there, uh, that that didn't exist anymore. Um, and I think Hong uh, Yimin more or less you know kept to himself. Was never big on having a big school, uh, lots of students competing in tournaments and things, and uh, right. they perceived it differently. Um, subsequently, you know, the 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 sons, uh, in particular, the the third, the second son and the third son, uh, trained and and uh, you know sought uh, uh, further instruction from Hong Yimin uh, after Hong Yixiang died. And uh, they were very different uh, in their approach. The three sons, uh, Hong Yixiang, Hong Yimin, and Hong Yiwen, uh, were, were, were very different in their approach or what they got out of the training with Zhang Junfeng. Um, and Hong Yimin was, was a, a, a more life, wiry guy who was very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, uh, would would move in and out a lot, and uh, you know, attack attack from outside angles and so forth. Hong Yiwen was known among his brothers for his shingi, um and his mastery of of that. Uh, Hong Yixiang was, uh, you know, the most the, the the more professional of the teachers in the sense that he. He, for a time, that's what he did to make a living, and you know he trained in in Xingyi Bagua and Taiji and other things, uh, and and tried to incorporate and crystallize that knowledge. But his fighting style was was uh, was was a result of both his mass and his sensitivity, and uh, very hard. For me to reproduce his mass, I can't. Do <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, and his sensitivity was—I won't say superhuman, but it was extraordinary. And uh, so that's something I'm still trying to replicate. But from a fighting style point of view, um, both uh, Hong Zahan, uh, who is uh, the, the second son of Hong Yixiang, who is training me now, uh, and I very much appreciate what. Hong Yimin brought to uh, you know what he learned or the, the way he internalized uh, the methods taught by Zhang Junfeng. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I've I've met several people from the Tang Shodao lineage, and uh, our the Xing Yi, uh, our Xing Yi looks almost identical, and the Bagua is actually you know it's you can tell it's the same system, but it's it's fairly divergent. So you know. It's good to see that, though, because if arts get too crystallized, I think they die on the vine anyway. Well, we, we uh, Hong, uh, Hong Zahan and I both believe that, that these are things that are living and, and should, there's no reason for them to decline generation after generation. And, and it, we can, uh, we can improve our perspective on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, that comes from understanding not only the system itself, but the system in context in the context of uh, of the world and its use and and 
its relation with other arts and, uh, you know, how it's going to cope with them as well. Yeah, the systems have to change to remain relevant because the world changes around them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, I can sort of give an example of this thinking here. Hmm. Um, when uh, I, I had a meeting with, with Dr. Umongji uh, before I went out to Asia the first time, and it was in his offices at, at Ohio University, and he, he said something which uh, you know, I, I made notes of and I've shared with other people in the Bondo Association since then that was very perceptive, okay, uh, and, and I think valuable for your listeners to, to, to think about perhaps. Okay. He said that, he said that uh, uh, martial arts systems, generally speaking, are designed to attack the thing that they perceive to be the source of power. Uh, so if you think about that, okay, um, and he, he drew a triangle and he, he said, okay, so you've got systems which perceive breath and the extensions of breath like balance to be a source of power, like Taiji. Right, and uh, the internal arts, and they attack the thing that they see as the source of power. Uh, an art like uh, Shaolin or Karate would see uh, bone and muscle as a source of power, and they're going to be attacking bone and muscle. Uh, Bando perceives the spine and the extensions of the spine, the nervous system, to be the source of power as as Dr. G said, without the spine and the brain and the nervous system, the the uh, the stomach or the the, the dantian is only so much uh, useless meat. <laughs> right. Um, but and so we also attack the the spine and the extensions of the spine, the nervous system. So I, I was thinking about this in the context of of Yizong Tang Shou Dao, the Yizong, you know, the essence of change. And, and Bagua being based on, on the I Ching in his book about change and adaptation and realize something that I've talked to uh, Hong Zahan about and he, he, he agrees with it and he's, he's excited about it and he, he thinks it's, it's a, a, a new, a fresh perspective on Bagua that Bagua perceives uh, change and the, the ability to change as a source of power, okay? Okay. And we attack the opponent's ability to be able to adapt. Okay, so the, the Hotian Bagua forms fundamentally overwhelm the opponent's ability to adapt to the changes that you're forcing upon them. Yes, I see. And this gives you a whole new perspective on the art. I hope. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd never uh, thought about it exactly like that before, but that that's, uh, upon brief reflection, that's totally correct. Um, so this is, is something that, uh, you know, I'm excited about, and, and you know, you mentioned I, I trained Bagua in, in the beginning. I mean, I've trained Xingyi uh, for uh, going on 30 years now, but Bagua, I've only started the past five years uh, with, with Hong Zahan. And uh, so I'm only about a halfway through the, the Hotian Bagua forms now. And 
and enjoying it immensely. It's uh, been very um, illuminating for me because, uh, for better or for worse, I tend to be a very defensive fighter. And uh, the way we do the, the forms, the way we're training them, um, they, it's... It, there's no. It's not a defensive system. It's 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 a, a, an attacking system. It's a going after the guy, bridging with him, and taking him out. And so, yeah, I have to change my my mindset, and and uh, you know, it's very useful for me to do so. Yeah, they're they're very very interesting tactics. A lot of cases, you just attack full on, and if the guy puts his hand up, then great because you've got a handle on him, and you can proceed to do what you were talking about just a second ago, which is tie him up and shut down his options. Mm-hmm. 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 Awesome. Well, best of luck with that. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like you're moving along at speed with the Bagua. Trying. It's, it's you know going to be another five years probably, but uh, we'll get there. Hey, why hurry? <laughs> <laughs> why hurry? Because I'm 57 years old and I'm not going to be able to do it that much longer. i got to learn it now, otherwise I'm not going to get it. But, yeah. Anyway, I see your point. Um, okay, well, we've we've only got a few minutes left here. I know you got another appointment to get to, but uh, let me just uh, kind of run through and get some maybe some bullet impressions from you on some of the people you've uh, crossed paths with. Yep. Uh, one of them on the list here is Wan Lai Shung. I've always found him to be an interesting character. Uh, what can you tell us about him? Uh, he he was a very interesting guy, uh, really full of piss and vinegar. Um, <laughs> I met him by luck. I, I was in Fuzhou uh, doing business around 1987, and I asked at the hotel, uh, you know, are, are there anybody famous martial artists in Fuzhou City? And the, luckily, the guy at the hotel said, oh, yeah, I know this guy. you got to go here, and you walk down this alley, and you walk around there, and, you know, so <laughs> on, take a light. And Anyway, I, I wrote the directions down. I went, followed him, and I knocked on the door, and this old guy comes to the door. <laughs> And, you know, he doesn't know me from Adam and uh, uh, invites me in and we had a nice conversation. Um, but the, the two things that he did that were, that were impressive to me, I mean, he was still really a uh, competitive guy. You know, he really wanted to show me, he's in his 80s, I'm sure, at that time. Uh-huh. He really wanted to show me that he's, <laughs> what he's got, you know. Right. Picks up this iron, uh, sorry, no, this brass rod okay imagine a brass rod that's about say three quarters of an inch diameter maybe 12 to 15 inches long okay it's it weighs it's it weighs a lot right and he he picks it up and he this is going to be hard to describe but he he uh he puts it over his index finger and under his middle finger okay yeah got it just the tip of it and he lets the rest of it hang out Okay. Now he holds it like that, rock solid straight, and then he hands it to me and he says, "Now you do it." And you know, of course, my my index finger just sort of droops and almost breaks off, you know, <laughs> and toward the floor. And then he sits down on his, on the uh, couch, and he uh, he says, "Can you do this?" And he he basically he's sitting in the sitting position of the couch, but he kicks his leg up. Uh, so the heel is pointing straight toward the ceiling, and you know, no, I can't do that. You know, <laughs> he was just, you know, really 
a hyper competitive guy, obviously. And uh, uh, I, I never saw him again after that. I, I, you know, I thanked him for meeting. I was only there for two days of business, but uh, it was interesting to have met him. Uh, Master Hong Yixiang met him uh, a couple of years later, uh, a Taiwanese delegation was invited to Fuzhou and, and they met and they had an interesting sort of uh, interaction which we'll have to save for another story sometime. But uh, <laughs> Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, we'll just move along. Uh, uh, apparently you trained for a little while with Wang Shu Jin. What, what can you tell us about him in a nutshell? Well... Uh, when I was in Taichung in training with Master Gao, uh, I, I also wanted to try to reach out to uh, Wang Shujin and was able to find him and meet him. And, and he said, okay, uh, come to the park and, and start training with me. Uh, and it was the same park and the same place where Master Gao's students trained in, in uh, Taichung. And uh, uh, so I, I did that, and it was, it was after Master Gao's session, but uh, anyway, I was visibly there training with this other guy, and three or four weeks later, uh, some of his students came up to me, and my Mandarin wasn't, you know, fluent at that point in time, and I thought they told me, look, uh, you can't do this, don't train with both of these guys, and, you know, uh, you're going to have to give it up, and it was a little slightly threatening, I felt, and so I, I, I said, look, I... I'm not going to give up training with Master Gao, so I'll have to stop training with Master Wong. And uh, so then about three months later, the same group comes up to me, and by now I'm going to be leaving Taiwan soon, and they said, why didn't you ever show up at, at Master Wong's house? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because you didn't tell me that, <laughs> or maybe I didn't understand, but, you know. <laughs> so I, I only got like three, four weeks training with him and only did P-Tran and, and the thing that I remember most about it was the, the, the way he held or asked me to hold the uh, Santi uh, was very different from the way I eventually trained with Master Hong. Um, if you can imagine that your thigh descends from your pelvis and, and is straight into the earth mm -hmm. but you're your shin goes off to the side and your toe out as you would normally be in Santi, okay? Okay. So it, 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 it has a very different feel to it, but it puts a lot of strain on your knees. Right. Okay. Um, let me squeeze in one more here. Yep. Uh, let's, uh, let's hit a Westerner, uh, Don Drager. He was, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, Robert Smith had introduced me or given me the, uh, the path to, to meet up with him. And he was a wonderful man, very generous, um, introduced me to a number of people that, that have you know, had a great influence on me, uh, Mike Scoss and Phil Relnick and so on. And um, the, he also invited me to go on one of his, his expeditions, but uh, I, I didn't. Uh, you know, I was working in a, for a U.S. company, and I didn't have time to take off, you know, six weeks to hike through the jungle. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that had, had uh, in, uh, encouraged him to give me some time was I had shared with him a paper that uh, my teacher, Dr. Jeff Wilcher, had written, uh, which was 
using the, 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 the science or the study of ethology to examine martial arts. And he found, uh, Drager found this paper to be really profound, as I had. And, uh, uh, you know, he gave me some time based on that. I, I shared with him films that I had taken in Burma that he thought were very interesting. And, and uh, uh, he eventually reached out to, to Dr. Wilcher as well to, uh, to see about him being involved in haplology. Um, he was a... Uh, just a dedicated warrior guy. I mean, uh, when I, I met him both in Tokyo and in Penang, and I recall meeting a Scotsman who was in Penang training with him there, and this guy says, describes Draeger to me, he says, I, he's a warrior. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he, he was, he was probably late 50s, early 60s at the time, but he was in just peak physical condition he was uh, training, you know, a lot of Joe system uh, primarily, and and in also in the Katori Shinto Ryu. So through him, I you know I was eventually able to to see uh, to visit the Katori Shinto Ryu uh, school in, in, in uh, near Narita. Uh, I Mike Scoss took me to to watch the uh, Yagyu Shinkage Ryu uh, and 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 uh, Yagyu Sensei doing their swordsman's uh, sword skills and it was just a very uh, you know he was very helpful to open my eyes and my exposure to many different arts in, in the region and sadly you know he uh, he passed on I had a, a letter that he wrote me uh, when he was uh, in the hospital and uh, you know so, uh, being treated for the cancer and that, that took his life and apparently he, he didn't, uh, he resisted, he didn't want to use anesthetics or anything, but he, he wrote that he wrote this letter and he said, I gotta go for now, the pain is just excruciating, you know? And yeah. for a guy like him to, to say that meant it was just really, really excruciating. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, excuse me, that is an, an unfortunate end for, for a man like that, but we all have to go some way. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you, you've got a you've got a very impressive list of people that you've crossed paths with. I could keep you on for another hour talking about them, but we simply don't have the time. Uh, maybe we can get you back on one day. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one last thing before we let you go is uh, just very quickly, we always try to get uh, our martial arts masters to pull their socks off and show us their feet of clay. Or give us a, an amusing story or, or something from their training that, that might uh, entertain the listeners and, and humanize them a little bit. Well, uh, I'll tell two quick little stories. One, one was when I was sparring uh, in a Bondo tournament. And uh, uh, I, I had been training in Asia and whatnot, a black belt at that point in time. And, and there was this young teenage kid uh, sparring with me. And I was wearing my belt and he, he was not. And during the session, he, he, he grabs my belt, and he pulls me into him, and he just starts punching me in the stomach. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was quite innovative. It was quite shocking. And, and uh, he says to me, you know, when the, when the ref breaks us, he says, in Burma, they don't wear belts, you know. <laughs> not, not true, but okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the other story is, 
little funny was I was walking down the road in Taiwan with uh, City Street with my wife and uh, downtown, and four guys tumble out of a building, out of a stairwell of a building, and and they the three guys are just pounding the crap out of one guy, and I just don't want to see this go down, you know. So I, I wade into it and I grab one guy by the collar and I pull him up away from the other uh, three. And he turns around at me and I, I tell him in Chinese, I said, you shouldn't be beating that guy up. And he, his right hand reaches into his coat. And I, I'm saying to myself, oh, shit. Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> and his hand comes out from his coat and he's got a police badge in his hand. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a cop. This guy's a murderer. <laughs> and so I just I just point to the guy like with an open hand and I said, "Please carry on." <laughs> <laughs> Did you pitch in? <laughs> no, I didn't pitch in. But uh, you know, my wife sort of drags me away and says, "Jesus, you're lucky these guys, you know, don't arrest you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, good Samaritanship can backfire. Well, look, those are great. We've got uh, almost exactly two minutes of tape left here, so I want you to tell the listeners really quick uh, uh, where they can contact you, look you up on the web, and any projects you have coming up. Well, um, we've got, I mean, uh, on the web, I'm on YouTube. There's a couple of tapes of me doing uh, Taiji competition and uh, do, performing the Bondo Wizard Wand, which is one of the systems that I'm trained in, uh, which came from China and which I'm demonstrating in a in a, a Chinese uh, Taiji uh, World Cup tournament. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, an article that I've translated should be published in in the Journal of Asian Martial Arts uh, about Bagua applications um, in the next issue. Excellent and. Uh, then uh, I'm working on a screenplay about Master Hong's life with, uh, together with Hong Zahan, and if we can ever find uh, uh, an investor for that, that would be a good film, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd uh, pay to see it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it could be like Yip Man, uh, but uh, more realistic. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to uh, hire Sammo Hung to play him. Well, no, yeah, I'm just kidding. Maybe, maybe the elder <laughs> Hung, yeah. Uh, but then... Uh, what else? Uh, uh, I'm trying to get the novel that I wrote uh, and published in the early in the mid 1990s uh, digitized to put up onto Amazon uh, Kindle and so on. But I haven't been able to do that yet. It, it is available on the Kodu.com uh, website, uh, but uh, uh, in in its paper uh, edition. Okay. Well, great. We will put links to all this up in the show notes, and uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to thank you so much for coming on. That was a great interview, and uh, we'd love to talk to you again soon. folks i'm back we're back and uh 
That was our bonus content for you. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed talking with him, and uh, we want to thank uh, Chris Bates for doing that. And uh, really, that's about all we have for you this time, but keep your eyes peeled and keep your feet open because we're going to bring some more stuff your way, uh, both via the regular show and through our bonus content, which we've now established. (laughs) Keep your feet open. And, of course, you can always check out HiyaPodcast.com. That's H-I-Y-A-A Podcast.com, where you can find show notes. And uh, you can like us on Facebook, and you can plus one us on Google and any number of other wonderful ways to let us know that you're into the show. Reserve airline flights. Mailbag um, at HiyaPodcast.com. That's M-A-I-L bag yes, at HiyaPodcast.com. Which will get you, uh, you know, that's your way to communicate with us. Yep. In a we, we're communicating way. with you, so it's your turn. <laughs> and uh, as we sign off here, just in case you thought I'd lost it. Hi-ya! <laughs> <laughs>